Hello, I am Marlon Diaz. And I'm Taylor Walker. And this is the Keeping It Local podcast. From the southernmost point of Florida. To the panhandle. We will be talking local politics as well as issues that affect everyday people. Taylor, are you ready for today's episode? Let's do it. Awesome. We'll be right back. We're live. (laughs) How are you, Marlon? I'm doing well, Taylor. How are you? I'm doing great. And I'm also super excited to introduce our newest guest, Mr. Brandon Ludwig. How are you doing, Brandon? I am doing great. I just want to take a moment and say thank you all for having me. It's been a busy last couple of days. I hope you all have uh, had a nice, relaxing weekend. So good to be on here with you guys. Yes, sir. We enjoyed our uh, Independence Weekend. over. I know I did over here in Pensacola anyway. All right. Well, Brandon, welcome to the Keeping It Local podcast. And um, the first question we usually ask our guests is, how do you get involved in politics? People want to know. People want to know, how do you get involved in local politics, local government, if if so? So just take take us on a walk through that and... How did you get involved? For sure. Um, For me, it was not always something that I really wanted to pursue, believe it or not. Um, My background came from I had interned in some government positions back in high school. Um, I worked over in Tallahassee in the messenger program uh, in the state capitol. I had also served as an intern uh, for our congressman over here in north central Florida, Congressman Ted Yoho. But for me, that was just to get some breadth of different experiences and, and working with the public and dealing with the general public. My passion has long been journalism. And so back during my high school years, I worked as a reporter for our lo- local publication over here, which is the Bradford Telegraph. I worked at one of their branch newspapers, which served my hometown, the Lake Region Monitor. Going through college, uh, my plan had been to pursue radio and broadcast journalism. I worked at a radio station up in Washington, D.C. as an associate uh, in an associate produ- uh, production role and uh, wanted to go into, you know, potentially talk radio field in the future or help work in anchor, uh, you know, broadcast journalism. Unfortunately, COVID-19 did what it decided it was going to do. And for most people who were graduating at that time, A lot of jobs that had been open or potentially open in that field were basically, they were no more. There wasn't an opportunity for a lot of those fresh graduates to pursue that because so many places stopped hiring. And uh, during my time with Congressman Yoho, I got to know his deputy chief of staff, uh, Kat Kamak, very well. And uh, Kat reached out to me. Our congressional seat was open. Uh, Congressman Yoho was retiring. And uh, there was a 10-way primary race taking place at the time. And she reached out to me about potentially being a part of it and serving as the director for Clay County, which is suburban Jacksonville, as well as Bradford and Union counties, and basically helping implement a campaign strategy there. Um, Fortunately enough, I ended up getting to be a part of that. And um, she ended up winning her primary with 25% of the vote, becoming the youngest Republican woman in Congress. And I had the honor of serving as her press secretary until a good ways of uh, good ways through last year. But my heart is a lot closer to home here in North Florida. I'm very proud to be from the Jacksonville area. Go Jaguars. Uh, loved my 904 and uh, decided it was time for me to return a bit closer to home. And so I took a job as a uh, public information officer 
with the Clay County Sheriff's Office, essentially basically notifying the public of um, incidents and uh, keeping tabs on basically our external relations and internal relations with our community. About two months ago, um, I had an opportunity that came up that I really couldn't turn down to work at the local level on something I've really, really enjoyed having a a bit of side work doing the last few years in terms of events and planning. And so about two months ago, I did uh, leave to pursue a new job where I currently serve as the director of community services for the city of Stark. And so uh, Stark is a seat of Bradford County. We're a city of about 6,000. Um, And what I do up here for Stark is I am over helping with economic development, planning, um, creating new events and things to draw and drive tourism in this uh, in in our community up here. Okay, well, let me ask you a question, because you 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 obviously have such a great background on media, but sometimes when we think of media, too often people's minds rushes to mainstream outlets and. as someone who did local radio, mm-hmm. such as yourself, what is it like to reaching folks on that level? For sure. So one of the other things that I had uh, done in addition to that was I had served back during my time in college. I served as a radio DJ at the University of North Florida and had a show for three years. It was the live and local show. And what's great about local radio is the fact that unlike these national corporate things that have to keep things kind of somewhat vague, you're trying to speak to a wide audience. With local radio, you can be a lot more tailored. You can talk to people in a different way. You can talk about, um, you know, for example, for my show that I had done at UNF at the time, uh, there was an opening for college students in the area who weren't sure of things or events and happenings taking place in the Jacksonville area. And so my show pretty much covered what was taking place in Jacksonville each weekend, tailored towards specifically college students. Um, And it was awesome getting to do that. There was a lot of good experiences that I had through it. Um, And it helped college students find free or relatively inexpensive things to do in the Jacksonville area. Here in Stark, we have a local radio station, uh, 106.3 WEAG, uh, the Eagle down here. And, you know, they'll cover everything. They'll, They'll play their country music, but they'll talk about Bradford High School football on Monday mornings. Uh, they'll talk local news. And so it's kind of a way for smaller communities to basically talk about the things that matter to them as opposed to, like you mentioned, at a mainstream level, it's a lot more vague because it's a lot more nationalized. Um, and, And that... You know, community relationships are a huge, huge thing, and that's something that local radio really helps to bridge that gap. And I'm glad you you bring up community relationships. Um, You also worked as a former PIO in Clay County. And as someone who sat on that line between the community and the law, how how important is it to convey security to a community? I can imagine you also have a few stories from such an exciting job. Yes. So, and it's actually very funny that you mentioned that because one of the things that working in of any job that you can deal with in media, one of the most complicated has to be law enforcement, because in today's day and age where sadly law enforcement has been become so politicized because of a few bad cops, um, it's extremely important that you always get the story accurate. Um, and, and even if that doesn't make your agency look good at the end of the day, um, One of the biggest things that we try to do is when we are doing our social media or we're putting videos together, we want folks to see the good side 
of what our our deputies did. And so at the Clay County Sheriff's Office, one of sheriff our sheriff was Michelle Cook. She's the uh, only female sheriff in Florida. And uh, Sheriff Cook's priority was showing what our deputies do in their daily lives and a lot of the things that they do within our community. You know, we have a police athletic league that a lot of them will volunteer with. We do a trunk or treat, trick or treating event up in Orange Park um, for kids within our community to give them things to do. And so being a part of having that gets us to show our good side to the public because unfortunately there's just a national narrative now that all, you know, you, you've seen the, the lines, all cops are bad, things are this way. Um, and, and that's largely for the most part, not true. You have a lot of people who are in it for the right reasons. Um, one thing you will see, and I think this has been a weakness for some in law enforcement across the country, is law enforcement agencies that do have social media tend to post their arrest and basically crimes that they are pursuing. Um, they don't post the good things that their agency is doing within the community. And so when you follow these pages, it's just, you know, doom and gloom, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. And that's where our agency tried to do it differently and how many agencies across Florida um, have been trying to take that uh, new role under the Florida Sheriff's Association, which has really, really prioritized that. And that's why you see so many agencies here in Florida that are accredited and that are doing it the right way is because these agencies are taking a, for lack of a better term, a more progressive approach to interacting with our communities. And, and I'll give a really good example of, you know, you mentioned stories a minute ago, Taylor. Um, <clears throat> my last day at my other job, we dealt with, and, and listen, I'm someone, you know, I previously worked in the, in the media, so I try to be very fair. I'm not going to go after folks if it's a story that's appropriate. All I ask is that you show the accurate or, or both sides of the story. And uh, so going to where I was going with that, the last day of my job at the sheriff's office, we were doing a pre-planned uh, domestic Violence Awareness Month press conference. Well, the night before, we had had an officer-involved shooting. Um, of course, the facts of the case are, are now known, but at the time, they were private, and uh, the, our officers were not at fault in the, uh, in the situation. It was a high-speed chase down Blaining Boulevard, but at the time, we were not allowed to discuss that because, per Florida Department of Law Enforcement rules, it has to go under their, you know, jurisdiction of an investigation, any officer involved shooting. Well, the next day we had had a pre-planned uh, for several months already press conference on the topic of domestic violence and basically sharing stories of survivors in Clay County. And, you know, we, we told members of the media that were there in advance, hey, we're not going to take any questions on this, uh, on, on the uh, on the officer-involved shooting uh, situation from the night before, because it is now under FDLE, and so it's not our place to comment on that and attempt to influence an investigation. It's not. Um, we finished our press conference, and one of the reporters tried to corner the sheriff while we were there talking about domestic violence issues about the incident the night before. And the sheriff clearly stated in her response, I'm not going to get into this right now. This isn't the time or place when we're honoring survivors of domestic violence. Well, that media outlet proceeded to cut it short. Later on, they posted their interview and said, Sheriff Michelle Cook ducks questions about officer-involved shooting and played the short clip that said, I'm not going to get into this. By purposely attempting to influence the narrative, they were attempting to basically make it look like something that it wasn't. And so, you know, like I said, we try to be fair and we try to do things in the right way. We reached out to them. The media outlet was like, 
we're not going to retract this. We're not going to do anything about this. They stood by the reporter. And so the sheriff decided she was going to take the liberty to interact and have a conversation with the community about it. And at the end of the day, when the full recording was made aware to the public, the public took the sheriff's office side. And so going off of that, that is why the community partnerships are so important is because when you build that good working relationship and people see your deputies or officers out in the community doing things, then when you have a situation like that, that the media may play to a bad circumstance, you're able to offset that and win the public over um, for your side. So it was, you know, it's definitely, it's such an important role in having those community conversations, uh, particularly on the law enforcement side in today's day and age. And, you know, I'm so glad you brought up preservation of the truth yeah. um it brings me to my next uh my next question for you um and this comes from a washed up history major uh <laughs> a lot of our future can <laughs> depend on how we treat our past for sure um and in your perspective how does history and historic preservation especially on a local level play a role in the community so i think one of the biggest things is when you are you know with me now working in municipal government when you are trying to influence or change things in the community that you're in, you have to understand your community's past in order to understand how you can make things happen in the present and in the future. For example, here in Stark, Stark's reputation is known for being a city that was on the uh, Highway 301, which was formerly known as the Highway to Southern Hospitality. Um, prior to the incoming of interstates into the state of Florida, the quickest way from the northeast to the south Florida in Tampa, Miami area at the time was U.S. Highway 301, which runs from Jacksonville down to uh, Ocala, and now it connects to I-75. Today, it is still the quickest way between Jacksonville and Tampa, but it's not the most heavily traveled of the routes anymore. However, Stark at the time was one of the largest cities on that route, and it continues to be a very important place logistically for, uh, we have a lot of semi-companies that are headquartered here, a lot of distribution centers that are headquartered in this area. And so when you're looking at things to try and do to improve or change things in your community, you've got to find a way that embraces the traditions that you kind of already had, um, you know, what, what you're known for, as well as things that will help it stay vibrant as you look to go into the future. And so, you know, attracting new distribution center, for example, here, you know, attracting new distribution centers or looking for things to keep, get people to stop off the highway here. Um, that's some of the different options and solutions that I'm looking at in my position, uh, as director of community services. And kind of, I'm really glad you brought up tradition too. It's going to the really great, good vein of thought here. Um, have you ever been through a time where you had to balance the desires to maintain an old town tradition versus breaking new ground? I know you're a younger guy and you've got fresher ideas when it comes to an approach like that. So have you ever kind of had to deal with that? Oh, for sure. Um, actually, it's funny that you mentioned it right now. I am currently working on a project here to do a food truck event in downtown Stark in what's known as our downtown square facility. And basically, this food truck event is designed to go on Thursday nights. You'll hear a lot of communities, they'll have food truck Fridays. But here in Stark, our Bradford High School football team is one of the best in the state consistently year in and year out. So we're not going to touch our Friday nights and mess with football. 
But, you know, you look at the days of the week that people go out and on a Sunday night, you're probably cooking at home. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're cooking at home. It's early in the week. By Thursday, you're sick of sitting at home for the week. And so if you're here in Stark, you might drive down to Gainesville and go out for dinner. Or you might drive up to Jacksonville. We're very centrally located between the two cities. And so... Our thought process is why not keep people in Stark on a Thursday night, get them to come downtown for a food truck event. You know, one of the benefits of Stark's downtown is we do have a very vibrant downtown community. Uh, we've got several really good restaurants. We've got a nice massage facility. We've got a movie theater. I mean, we, we have a lot of different things to do in our, and it's a historic movie theater from the 1940s, not one of these new fancy ones. You can literally go out for a movie, one person for $14. That's a steal in today's day and age. And so the goal was to get people out and doing things uh, in this downtown area on a different night of the week. The problem is you also, in terms of looking at the way that things have been done before, you also don't want to hurt your established businesses already. And so there has to be some kind of balancing act that makes it possible. What we are assessing here is, you know, the trade-off is, yes, we do plan on bringing this supper on the square event once a month on Thursday nights to the community, but we may put in place a more uh, sort of restrictive food truck ordinance, restricting it to food trucks that are registered in Bradford County only. We ha have a lot of food trucks here that will travel north from Gainesville or south from Jacksonville, and, you know, one of the things about food truck registrations in Florida is that, yes, they do pay taxes, but only in the county that they're registered in. So if you're a food truck from Alachua County you're and you're operating here in Stark, yes, you're collecting tax revenue, but that's going to Alachua County. That's not going to Bradford. And so we want to find a way to offset that to make sure that businesses who are here aren't hurt by businesses that aren't from here and that the ones that are here do pay their fair share as well. And so we're working currently on ordinances on that front to make sure that, you know, we can set up an exciting new event while still protecting our local businesses and their business in the process. And obviously in your line of work, you know how important that community engagement is. It's vital. I think a lot of local governments try to find those new ways to engage the public um, that are exciting. So what advice would you have for folks trying to strike new ground in their local governments? So for me, I think there's three big things. And the first one's kind of vague. It's be open to new ideas from residents. Sounds pretty vague, but I'll go into it in a moment. Um, you also have to understand the community that you're working with. And then you also want to make sure the public gets to be a part of the process. You know, starting with being open to the new ideas from residents, for the Separate on Square event that I mentioned originally, I wanted to do that on a Friday night. That was what we had talked about. I was kind of set and sold on Friday night until I started talking to members of the community and realized, you're right, we don't want to mess with the Friday night when people might be going out to a football game. Let's move this to a Thursday, a night that a lot of people will go out as well. And so had I not have been open to that, input, we might have an event that's not particularly as successful as it could be, as we feel it will be on Thursdays. Um, understanding the community that you're working with, you know, for me, I grew up right next door to Stark in a small community uh, named Keystone Heights, and Keystone's a wonderful place to grow up and live, but Keystone Heights and Stark are two very different communities. Keystone Heights has a lot more retirees, um, there's a lot of lakes there, and so your population over there is a bit more transient as opposed to Stark and Bradford County, where a lot of your population has lived here for decades. Um, some of these families go eight and nine generations back. 
And so there's a lot of different things over here that are cultural, that are traditional, that you want to respect in the process of getting things done, as opposed to what you would do in a more transient area with events and stuff, if that makes sense. The last thing that you want to do is make sure the public can be a part of the process. And basically what that's about is, you know, be transparent about the events or things that you're bringing there. You've got to, if you're doing something, you've got to sell what you're doing. And I'll tell you, you know, here in Stark, for example, we decided we've not had a 4th of July celebration in more than 20 years. And a couple of months ago, there was this idea that was brought up about let's try to get something started this year. And so... Two months ago when I came in, I worked with the event organizer. I served as the advertising and media side on behalf of the city. The organizer, uh, Mr. Michael Heater with the Fantastic Fire Brigade, as well as the Bradford County School District, we worked in conjunction to put together an exciting event. But the thing is, you can have a great event, but if you don't advertise it, people aren't going to show up. And you can advertise the heck out of an event, but if you don't put together a good event, people aren't going to come back. And so there's a lot of yin and yang there that really you know, can mix to make a successful event. And so, you know, through our advertising process, one of the things that we did were slow releases of stuff or, or different things to get the public involved through social media and, you know, post about this or let us know if you want this. Um, and, and our feedback was wonderful. We were able to get so much out of it. Um, Sunday we held that event and our initial projections were, we were hoping for 500 people we ended up having our turnout blown out of the water with over 5,000 our very first year, uh, which is absolutely incredible. And a big part of what we heard is we're so glad we could be a part of this. We feel a part of our community again. Thank you to the city for making us feel a part of this. People want to be a part of their community. And if you give them that chance, you know, whether it's, you know, advertising, you know, events such as the Splash Bash or letting them be a part of, you know, you know, getting their input on things such as supper on the square. People want to be a part of contributing to something good. Uh, they truly do. And, you know, if you can have people feel like they're a part of making that positive change, you're going to get so much greater output from, or you're going to get so much greater from what you get out of something because of that. So that's, that's what I would definitely say for folks trying to get involved in local government. And and one other thing I will add on to that subject is, you know, I know there's a lot of people that are straight off aiming for Washington or they're straight off aiming for Tallahassee. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Obviously I had, you know, ambitions to work, you know, with things at the federal level, but for me as someone who personally likes to be able to get things done, sometimes in DC, you're going to deal with a bit of gridlock. Let's be honest. Whereas at the local level, you can get so much more done than you could in somewhere like that. And, you know, I, I've been here for two months and I've already felt like I've had the opportunity to make an impact in several big ways, you know, from designing new billboards for our community to helping implement this Splash Bash. And of course, coming through with our project, several other projects that we're working on, um, Supper on the Square, a new Veterans Memorial Park, and a downtown square district that are also underway. You know, there's there's no job really in municipal government in a city like this. That's a bad job. And so, you know, you may be shooting for the stars, but you never know. You could have a great job riding your own community if you live in a smaller, medium, or large-sized community. That might be the perfect job for you. So I would say never look too far past your own backyard as well. Now that is that's some inspiring words there. I uh, I can only congratulate you for the success of the event that you had uh, 
this Fourth of July, because um, I remember seeing the pictures on social media, and I, I got to congratulate you for that, um, Marlon. Uh, do you have any final questions before we go to business promos? I don't have any. Fi- I don't have any final questions, but I, 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 that's what I was going to say. Let's move into the final segment, and we want you to stay on, Brandon, because you talked about a lot about your local businesses. So we want you to be able to highlight one of them that you would like to uh, let our listeners know, so that they can go out there and support. Oh, gosh. So one of, you know, I would say here and start, we've got a couple of different really exciting, unique businesses. Um, for me, one of my favorite ones here in Stark, and like I said, it's it's the middle of North Florida. So if you're in Jacksonville or you're in Gainesville, it's actually pretty conveniently located, is the Florida Twin Theater. Um, this theater was built in the 1940s when Camp Blanding served as a huge military training facility for those going into World War II. Um, Camp Blanding's about 20 minutes away from here. And so Stark was where a lot of the soldiers lived at the time. Being that they lived here, there was a need for entertainment in the community, and that's how the theater came along. Now, this is a beautiful Art Deco-style theater. You you wouldn't believe or expect to be in a small town. and uh, But it's been run uh, by the same family for over, uh, gosh, seven or eight decades now. And it's, it's just – it's a part of the tradition here. I mean, I'll tell you, growing up next door, everyone where we're at knows you go to the Florida Twin Theater and start because movies – they're way too expensive now. You go out for a movie, a movie ticket's $15, $16, the popcorn's $8, a drink's going to be $7. By the time you're done with it, taking two people to the movies costs you almost $100. Whereas if you go to the Florida Twin Theater here in Stark, a movie ticket to enter costs $7, and a popcorn combo for two includes a medium drinks, and that's 8 So you're spending $15 or, or technically with the additional ticket, it's $22 for two people to go to the movies. So you can go to the movies and have dinner after. It's, it's, it's a really great experience, and it's the way that movies used to be done. When you go into that theater, it's, it's not the fancy recliners or the dinner theaters. It's a regular good old-fashioned movie theater. And I, just, I was able to get back in there about two weeks ago to go see the new Top Gun Maverick movie, and it just really brought back that feeling of like as a kid, you're like, yes, this is so much fun to go to the movies. I can't wait to go back. Um, so honestly, you know, that's one of the businesses I, I would really say is a very special part of our town. I mean, especially with today's economy, that sounds pretty affordable for families nowadays. So yeah. definitely go out and support your theater, your local theater, obviously, in Stark. Um, you know, Taylor, what about you? Tell us what your business of the week is. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't try to, I'm not trying to show anybody up here. It's not just one business, it's multiple businesses. So in my hometown, Pace, we have a new Saturday tradition that started. Um, it's called the market. It is a farmer's market that is now open in the Oops Alley, it's our bowling alley, Oops Alley parking lot, beginning at 9 a.m. until noon. And local farmers, local producers, there's coffee shops that come out there, just sell their wares and connect with the community. And it just started this summer. So if you are in the Pace area, if you just happen to be nearby, I would highly recommend going by. My dad and I went a few weeks ago and he came home with duck eggs and a water watermelon and I've, I haven't seen him that happy in a while. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm definitely promoting our, uh, our small farmers and our small businesses over here in Pace. All right. Well, and for me, I've got, um, so over the weekend uh, of 4th of July, um, there was a, a major incident in one of the local gyms down at Palmetto Bay, South Florida. 
um, Golden Rule Seafood. It's well known for their outside Tiki Hut. Um, fortunately, because of the fireworks, the Tiki Hut burned down um, and the local community now has had an outpouring support for this local business who's open, been open for decades. So please, if you live in Palmetto Bay, if you live in the surrounding areas, please go out and support them. They're still open. They have an indoor dining. Um, they have incredible food. Please support them all that you can. Um, we wish them the best and we wish them to recover um, as soon as possible. So with that, um, we want to thank you, Brandon, for joining our show, for walking us through your career, your experiences. Um, this is what keeping a local is all about. So we want to um, bring speakers like you to our platform to be able to inform folks about not just issues that are happening in their community, but as well as issues that are happening in other places. So you definitely bring that keeping a local touch to our show. So we, again, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks, Brandon. If you want to say something. Oh, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, it was great getting to talk to you guys this evening. I appreciate the hard work y'all are putting in to make this happen. Um, it's exciting to see other people doing things like this and, and putting projects into action. So I wish you guys the best of luck as y'all continue to make this happen in the future. Thanks, Thank Brandon. You. Take it easy.